Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Good, good. You sounded good. I was just kind of listening to you worship. It sounded good. Um, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2 this morning, so you can go ahead and open it up uh, as we get ready to, to dive into this story, continued um, journey through Jonah. We kicked it off last week. Pastor Eric kind of laid out this foundation of, of what this story was really about and what, what's really on display here. You know, a lot of times we think about the story of Jonah and we start asking these kinds of questions of like, well, is that really feasible? Is it really possible that this really large fish just so happened to be there and happened to swallow a man whole? And, and how, did he, how did he stay alive? Not just momentarily, but for three days and for three nights, we start asking these kinds of questions that it's very easy to kind of trip us up and really just take the entire focus off of what the story of Jonah is really all about. Remember, Jonah... In chapter 1, he received this call from God, and so he had the, the dub of faithfulness, or as, as Pastor Eric shared with us, the chicken of faithfulness. Um, Jonah means dove. He was Jonah, the son of Amittai. Amittai means faithfulness. The dove of faithfulness. The chicken of faithfulness. And so the, the chicken of faithfulness receives this call from God, right? Hey, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach the good news, right? And the good news was repent or God's going to wipe you out, right? That's the good news, you know? Um, uh, some of us, we hear those kinds of things. That doesn't sound like good news. Well, it, it was good news. Re turn away from God's judgment. Come, come towards a relationship. Come towards this invitation of grace and mercy. And really the, the story that's unfolding in Jonah is not the story of the, of the feasibility uh, of whether he could have been swallowed by the fish and survived. It's not the, the, the unfolding events necessarily of like how he got there. What really, really the unfolding story of Jonah is, is this highlight of, of God's mercy, of the never-ending mercy of God, uh, of the limitless and long-suffering love of God, uh, of his unending grace, his pursuing grace. These amazing things that, that to, to us, I mean, we love to be on the receiving end of this, but, but if we, like Jonah, receive this call where, wait a second, God, I'm not really sure if what you're asking me to do lines up with what I want to do. I'm not sure if what you're asking me to do, are, are you really right in that, God? And this is, this is some of the question that Jonah was asking. So God gave Jonah probably one of the single hardest missions that he gave to any of his prophets. It was go to the Assyrians, right? It wasn't just go, to, go and, and hang out among God's people. It wasn't just, you know, preach the good news to, to the children of God remind them. I mean, that, that was kind of the role that he was fulfilling at the time. Just kind of this grandfatherly voice. Hey, remember God. Hey, turn away. Do, do the things that are right. Here's what's God's will, what God's will is for you. These are the things that you need to do. And then God comes to him and says, go to the Assyrians. Leave what's comfortable. Leave the children of God, leave the people of God. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to travel 
northeast up to the Assyrians, to Nineveh, one of the capital cities, and I want you to preach the good news. I want you to invite them into relationship with me. And Jonah says, what do you say? No. <laughs> no, no, God. Um, I, obviously, like, I need a Q-tip or something. Uh, I'm not hearing you right. Um, and if that's what you're really saying, I'm out of here. And so we had this map that Pastor Eric showed us of, of basically, you know, over on the right-hand side, you see Joppa. And about 75 miles or so kind of northeast was Jerusalem. That was this, the area of Galilee around where, where Jonah hung out. He was a Galilean prophet in the mid-700s B.C., and then God tells him, go to Nineveh, go northeast, right? And so this is really where the downward spiral of Jonah starts. This is, there's, there's these steps of descent. And this is so true in our own life. You know, disobedience to God, finding ourselves in, in a place of being swallowed alive, never comes just all of a sudden in a moment. There's a progression Getting out of God's will isn't just, well, you know, I fell into sin. I, it, I, yeah, we just made a mistake. It, I, I, I don't know what happened. No, it was one step after another step after another step after another step that all of a sudden you found, as depending on what your eyes were looking at, that is where you followed. Just like in driver's ed, right? They tell you, you know, don't look at the oncoming traffic, right? Because <laughs> you don't want to hit it. <laughs> where you look is where you're going to go. Keep your eyes in the middle of that lane, and that's where you're going to stay. That's where you're going to head. The same kind of thing, and so what, what he does is, is he turns away, and he goes down to Joppa. That was the first step. Hey, God, God says, go northeast, and say, fine, I'm heading southwest, <laughs> opposite direction. He goes down to Joppa, and then here's why. He wanted to find a ship to head across the Mediterranean Sea to go to Tarshish, to go to the, the, the outskirts of society, to go to the, the very limits, to find the new frontier. He's headed for California. I hear out there, people create their own destiny. I hear there's stars out there. I hear you can go to Tarshish and, and make the dream come true. And maybe, just maybe, I can drown out God's call on my life. That's his hope. Why? Why was Jonah so disobedient? It's a question that we have to wrestle with. It's a question that, that if you've read ahead, maybe you have already begun to see some of the unfolding of what's going on inside of Jonah's heart. But here he takes this trip and he goes down to, jo to, to, to Joppa. And then he goes aboard a ship. And then he goes down below decks. And then he goes into a deep sleep all trying to escape this reality, this call. No, God, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. Those, those Assyrians, they're a wicked people. They don't deserve your grace. They, aren't, they, don't, they don't like you. They, they probably hate you, God, and they probably hate me too. And he draws the line in the sand and says, I'm out of here. Well, you remember the story, the, the perfect storm comes, you know, the waves are crashing all around. Meanwhile, Jonah is, is asleep in the bottom of the ship. The captain comes and wakes him and they go through this whole thing. And, and then finally they, they decide through lots and through Jonah's confession, yep, it's my fault. This whole mess that you're in, the loss of your cargo, the things that you're experiencing, the fear that you have that you're going to lose your own life, that's my fault. Our sin never just affects us. 
And as he, as he confesses that, they ask the question, well, what are we supposed to do to you? He says, well, throw me overboard. And even these like pagan sailors who don't know God have this moral code, right? We're not throwing you. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to throw you overboard. So what do they do? They row harder. They can see land. They row harder trying to get to the land. And finally, they give up. And it's fine. And Jonah continues his journey down into the deep. And as we get into this chapter today, in chapter 2, we see uh, him, him going from the surface down to the depths, getting caught in this kind of oceanic spin cycle in the surf, caught in a riptide, being dragged underneath, down, scraping across the bottom, being, having his head wrapped in seaweed till finally he goes down the throat of a great fish. In verse 17 of chapter 1, Pastor Eric finished up. Last week, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, again, this is, this is something that can kind of choke us up and kind of, it can kind of distract us. If we really look at it in the bigger picture, you know, we realize, you know what, this really isn't, this really isn't a great feat. This really isn't something that should stumble us up. We, we, we shouldn't try to take this into our own hands as, as many times we do with Christians. Hey, I needed to defend God. I need to prove how this could be historically accurate. Sometimes we try to do that with God. There's people over the last several years, last 20 years, in, in trying to like prove that this could happen begin to make up stories. Check out Snopes.com. You'll, you'll find a story of of a Norwegian sailor swallowed by a sperm whale. No, it didn't happen. <laughs> but it was that, that was proof, right? That was proof it could happen. This, God doesn't talk about a whale. He talks about a great fish. We don't, we don't really know exactly what it was because guess what? I wasn't there. I wasn't there on that ship. I didn't see it happen. I'm not Jonah in this sense. But I wasn't there at creation either. And when I go back in Genesis and I look at the accounts of creation and I see the Spirit of God hovering over the water and I see the voice of, of God saying, let there be light, and there was light. I wasn't there. I know that light exists. I know, I know that, that my God is real. I know that he's faithful. I know that the things that, that he says are true and that all of creation bows to him and obeys him except me. <laughs> what is it about us as humans? You know, we look at this story of, of Jonah and, and if you take a step back into, into chapter one, we see that, that God threw the great wind at the ship that caused the storm. And then God spoke and these things happened. God spoke to the fish, put the fish, literally the words used are, gave the fish a calling, gave a, a, the fish a special assignment. Hey, listen, um, I know that I created you to eat all this stuff, but I got this special assignment for you. He doesn't taste good. Um, he's a little hairy, but I believe in you. You can do it. Swallow him whole. No biting, no teeth, just open wide, gulp, and you're going to get some really bad indigestion. And in about three days, it's all coming back up, but I have faith in you. You can do this. All of creation obeys God, and yet I stand as a human, and, and, and I wrestle with the grace of God. 
I wrestle with the mercy of God. I wrestle with the calling of God. What is it about me when I stand and I I'm so, get so introverted? This is the way that I feel. These are the things that seem right to me. And these are the responsibilities that, that I am in charge of. And these are the things that I can control. I spend so much time in self-reflection. I end up denying the reality that is going on all around me. The grace of God, the glory of who he is, the beauty of creation. I can get, maybe you've experienced this, I can look at myself so deeply that all I end up with is depression. Because when I spend too much time looking inside, I realize that there's not enough there to sustain life. I am in need of a savior. I am in need of salvation. And as we look at the story of Jonah, we're going to see like all of creation, the story continues. Then God's going to speak to the fish again. And he's going to puke Jonah up. And then there's going to be this plant that comes later. And there's this worm and there's this, this hot eastern wind that comes. All of these things and God is the one molding and shaping every single movement of his creation. And Jonah stands there, just like you and I do, just going, I'm not sure if I want to follow God. Jonah wrestled with this idea of mercy. He wrestled with this, who is deserving of God's grace? When we wrestle with those kinds of things, we basically end up making God in our image. But if we take a quick look back at at Exodus chapter 34, when, when God himself reveals himself to, to Moses, he says, I'm Yahweh, I'm the Lord. And throughout the story of Jonah, you see this different kind of name for God that keeps popping up. In Esther, we had no mention of God, right? Well, here in, in the book of Jonah, we have this name for God, and it says the Lord. It's not just like Lord, like sovereign. It's capital L, capital O, capital R capital D, Lord. And it's this very specific word. Whenever you see that in your Bible, it's referring to the unpronounceable name of God, Y-H-W-H. We, we've added vowels in there, Yahweh. And in Exodus, Yahweh comes to Moses. The Lord comes to Moses, and this is what he says. Yahweh, this is who I am. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Talking about three different ways that we do wrong against God. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. God has his own brand of, of justice. He has his own brand of mercy and love. He, he says, I am not going to fit in your box. I am not going to be created in your image. You are made in my image. I am. And there's so many times as we look at the story of God and we look at it unfolding in our own lives, we may not understand why God is doing the things that he's doing. I may not be able to, to see what God's doing, but I know that he is. He says, I am good. 
I have your best in mind. I am faithful. Even when you're not, I am. And as followers of Christ, he's given us his spirit as a down payment. He's given us a a piece of himself. And he says, even when you're not faithful, I'm going to be faithful to you because I've given a piece of myself to you. I've put a piece of myself inside of you. And I'm going to be faithful to you because I'm being faithful to me. And this is really the unfolding, one of the unfolding stories of Jonah. Is God is pursuing Jonah. He is chasing him down on his on his wild cruise, <laughs> seeking solace, seeking to, to turn up the soundtrack of all other things in life and in culture to be able to avoid the, the calling of God. And God says, I'm still here. I'm still going to chase you. I'm still going to reveal myself to you. I'm still going to show you who I am. And this is an amazing thing. When we find that we too are just like Jonah, it's this interesting thing because as I look at myself and I, I see all of these things, my introversion, I, I know that, that my hope is not here. My hope is not inside of me. My salvation is not in how many push-ups I can do. My salvation is not in how much money I can make. It's not in how many people like me or love me or say that I'm awesome. My salvation comes only from God. And you and I, in this wrestling with being a created being, in this wrestling with with aligning to God's purposes and God's will, we have to lift our eyes off of ourselves and lift them to God. And this is going to be an unfolding story in Jonah as he reconciles God's truth. There's this interesting commentary in the book of uh, in the book of First Peter. Because as we're sitting here kind of wrestling with this story, with the, the unfolding of God's grace and his mercy, we get this unique picture into the heavenlies about this salvation. And this is what Peter says in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. Speaking of us, the church. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and the great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves but for you, and now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, God's prophets. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. We're being watched. All of creation stands aghast at our rebellion. All of creation goes, what is wrong with these humans that when they are invited to experience the grace of God, they run? What is it inside of us that makes us turn from God's calling? What is it? All of the angels who sit in heaven uh, talking with God and ministering to God and praising God and worshiping God, they're looking down, they're eagerly waiting what's going to happen with their salvation. They, they are amazed that God allows us in his long-suffering nature to continue living out the story of Jonah in our own lives. God, you're so long-suffering. You, your grace is so unending. unending. You're your pursuing love is, is incredible. It's unfathomable. 
And as we wrestle with these kinds of things, we really have to be in a space to be able to be honest with ourselves and looking on the inside and go, well, this is who I am and this is who God is. Am I willing to reconcile who I am in light of who he is? Because if I am, then I will find salvation. If I am, I will find freedom from depression. And, and, and as we go through you know, this story and see this man swallowed alive, Jonah is the, is the story of us. Jonah, the unfolding story of Jonah is the story of, of us seeing how far we can, we can go to the outskirts of God's plan for us. We find Jonah in the same place that we find ourselves, in desperate need of saving. I'm not really sure why we have to wait so long. Several years ago, my, my wife and I, Renee, we went on this um, trip. We were about five years into our marriage. We went on this trip to Ireland. We saved up some money. And um, like, like normal Americans, we looked at Ireland and we said, all right, we will conquer the southern half of Ireland in about 10 days. And so we land in Shannon and, and we rent a car. And um, all of a sudden, the reality hits me. I'm sitting in the passenger's seat and there's a steering wheel in front of me. Not only that, I'm driving a stick shift. So I'm like completely opposite. And then I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. And then we had it all mapped out, right? You know, 10 days, this is what we'll do. We'll hit 100, 150 miles a day. We'll cruise through. And then we realized after the first day of spending eight hours in the car that something was terribly wrong. We need, we need to reassess what's going on. Here's my plan. But my plan was me cruising at, at 60 or 70 miles an hour, you know, to get to this place and to hang out here and, and see this site. And what I didn't account for and what I didn't realize was that I was driving on the wrong side of the road on, on, a, on a curvy, narrow road with a mountain on this side and a hundred foot drop into the ocean on this side in a lane no wider than a Yaris. And I'm like, what is going on? going on this is insane save me and so many times we find ourselves with this great plan for our life and as we're moving forward trying to conquer the world we realize something has gone terribly wrong and everything that we knew is backwards there's no lights there's only roundabouts and all of a sudden, we just find ourselves doing these circles for our own safety. I don't know how to get out. I got in. Maybe I'll get flushed out somewhere along the way. Maybe I'll just dodge somebody and end up where I need to be. We find ourselves in these patterns moving along. And we really can lose sight of what God's vision and what God's plan is for us. And Jonah finds himself below sea level under the water, under the waves, inside of a fish. I mean, just imagine that for, for just a moment. I mean, if anybody's cleaned a fish in the, in the room, just imagine that all over you. Gross, huh? For three days and three nights. I bet when he got puked up, I mean, I bet he smelled amazing. Just kind of marinating in that juice. It's inglorious. 
And so many times the plans that we have for our life, we find they're inglorious, right? Here's the picture of my future. This is where I'm going. This is, this is the degree that I'm going to get. And this is the person that I'm going to marry. And this is, this is the kind of house that I'm going to live in. And these are the kinds of dogs that I'm going to have. And, you know, this is what my future looks like. Isn't it glorious? And then we get there. Who tricked me? How did, how did I end up married to this person? You probably prayed for it. It's one of these things that we have to wrestle with in our own story of Jonah. What's going to happen? I'm going to read through these nine verses, first nine verses of this chapter as we look at what happens to Jonah in this space. He's been swallowed. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. A smart thing to do would have been to start praying a lot earlier, right? I mean, waking up from the sleep, the, the sailors and the captain, the pagans, the heathen, hey, you should pray. No, I'm not going to pray. I might have another option. See, the, the, the plan that I have for myself isn't completely dead yet. I know God's in this, and I know God is trying to mess this up, but I might still get my way. The, the hope that I have for my own future that is separate from God's will for my life as he has revealed it, that might still happen. And as long as I have even the smallest element of control, I will be God. He knows God is God. He's a prophet. He's a faithful prophet. He already proclaimed the truth to the sailors, and yet inside, in this deep place in his heart, he is wrestling with making the truth something that he follows. It's not enough just to say that it's so. We have to submit our lives to it. We have to submit our lives to him. And so he said in his prayer, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. And then he makes it personal. I called out to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord around, alone. So many times we find the, the edge of our own stubbornness. He waited until his soul fainted within him. When we say yes to one thing, we often are saying no to another. We say yes to God's will, we're saying no to our own will. We say no to God's will. We're saying yes to the things that, that our senses, the things that we feel. If I could just feel it, God, then I'd be obedient. And God says, no, that's not faith. You're trying to walk by sight. 
You're below sea level. This demands faith. This is beyond your realm of control. Life is not a beast that you can master. It's not a horse that you can tame. It's a lion that is going to devour you if you will not let me be your savior. So he cries out. And in verses um, two through six, there's this kind of like interesting little poem thing that he does. For those of you that are like English majors or really kind of um, nerdy in that way, you like poetry, um, then this is, this is one of those things that's called a, a, a chiasmus. And it's this picture, the, um, the, the format is basically A, B, C, B, A. And so verses two and verses six kind of like echo each other. And verses three and verses five echo each other. And they're all pointing in this A, B, C, B, A. They're all pointing to C, verse four. And this is kind of really what it, the, the whole point of the chiasmus is, is to be able to say, this is what's important. This is what is reverberating. This is what is at the center of this ripple. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. See, Jonah feels out of the loop. He feels banished. You know, he sat in that place of, of being in, in Galilee and being a prophet and, and receiving uh, the, the word of God and sharing it with God's people, God's children. And then what happens, God says, hey, I need you to go over here to Nineveh. And all of the sudden, if Jonah wants to drown out the voice of God, God's calling on his life, if he wants to ignore God's will, then he can't even stay where he lives. He can't even continue going to the temple. He can't go to this basis of truth and, and where he knows in his mind he interacts with the presence of the Lord. He has no choice but to run. And so he says, God, you've banished me. You've driven me from your presence. Now, I don't remember reading in the first chapter where God drove Jonah from his presence, right? But here's what he's feeling. Here's, here, here's his reality. God, I, what I feel is that you don't love me anymore. I know that you do. But I feel this because, why? Why does he feel this? Because he's disobedient, right? God's love is unending. There's nothing that can separate us from God externally. The thing that separates us from God is internal. It's our carnal nature. It's, it's our own desires. It's, it's me wanting what makes me feel good. And it eats me alive from the inside out. Jonah's prayers are driven by adversity, but in the midst of this, he finds truth and he finds focus. He finds confession. Verse seven, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Now, he's not, he's not saying that God resides just in the temple. He knows that God is everywhere. He wasn't surprised when God caught up with him on the ship. He knows that God's in Tarshish. He knows that, he knows that God is, is in Nineveh trying to, to bring people to, his, to understanding. He just needs someone to proclaim the truth because they don't know it. But he says now, well, this is what I'm going to do. I remembered the Lord. I, I, I took my eyes off of me 
And I lift my eyes to the upward calling of Christ. I lift my eyes and I remember who he is. And one of the great cures to our unfaithfulness is remembrance. One of the key issues with, with, with maintaining our faithfulness is our forgetfulness. It's so easy for us to forget God. And so we need to fix our eyes on him. Focus our mind and our heart on him. And so Jonah says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple, an acknowledgement of who God is. In verse eight, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. And then all of a sudden what happens here is as he repents, as he turns away from, all right, God, have your way with me. I am on the verge. This is what it took me. It took me being on the verge of death being dragged under the waves, having my head wrapped in, sea, in seaweed, having my face pounded into the sand at the bottom of the ocean floor, seeing my very watery grave. That's what it took for me to cry out, but hey, I'm crying out, and here I am, and he does that. Now this whole prayer, as I read it earlier, less than a minute and a half to read, right? This movement of repentance, the distance from where I am in doing my will and me being right smack dab in the center of God's will is just one step. There it is. It's not far. It's not, okay, well, you know, I mean, let me make a list of all of the things in my life that I'm, that I'm kind of out of God's will. Okay, I need, to, I need to stop sleeping with my girlfriend, and I don't have a girlfriend. Um, I, need to, I need to stop getting drunk, and, um, you know, I need to stop cursing. And, no, God is not interested in you purifying yourself. In fact, it's impossible. He tells us that. He is interested in us repenting and turning and saying, fine, here I am. I stink. I'm in the belly of, of this great fish. I'm very far from where you told me to be, and and yet, God, I will turn to you and I will take a step. And then what happens? All of a sudden, truth starts coming out of his mouth. Verse 8, he begins preaching. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. Those who, those who focus on idolatry, those who do something other than God's will, forfeit the greatest invitation that they've ever experienced into the rapture of the grace of God. Don't forfeit the mercy of God. Don't forfeit the grace of God. Don't get lost inside of whatever you've been swallowed by, whatever it is that you're looking at. I'm drowning in debt. I'm drowning in low self-esteem. I'm a victim. No, step into your salvation. Step into truth. Step into the, the arms of God's love and find his purposes. And hopefully for us, it doesn't take the ground pound of our face into the sand. But for Jonah, that's exactly what it took. And God was willing to meet him right there at the bottom of the ocean. And he's willing to meet you and I there as well. And then all of a sudden it turns as he, as he moves his heart, as he lifts his eyes from fathoms beneath the sea his very soul is stirred. Physically, he's in distress. Emotionally, he, he's exhausted. But spiritually, all of a sudden in verse 9, this song of praise starts. 
But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And he finds redemption. He finds the pathway to move into God's will for his life. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's still inside a fish. All right, God, I'm literally like, I literally have no control. You're just going to have to take me wherever you tell this fish to go. I am completely helpless. And then verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The story of Jonah isn't, isn't just a story of a man being swallowed, but it's really a sacred echo of the coming king of the Messiah. The whale, the fish, it isn't really an important thing to, to focus on Jonah being swallowed. It's that, that now he has been resurrected. Any more than, than at the death of Christ, we focus on the tomb No, we focus on the resurrection. And this is a sacred echo. Jonah was swallowed by the fish and Jesus was swallowed by the grave. And three days later, Jonah was resurrected and given new life. And Jesus rose from the dead three days after his death on the cross. There's a few lessons as we close today of what the story of Jonah means to us and where it meets our reality. See, Jonah was a liar. He told lies to himself on the inside. That's how he got to that place of of not following God's truth, was internally in his deepest part. He said, you know what? I can shut God out of my life. I can run from the call of God. I can forget God. I don't need God. These are the lies that Jonah is telling himself. These are the lies that I've told myself. I've got another option. I'll just just try a little bit harder. I'll just just take some of these resources and I'll just throw them over here and then watch, I'll, I'll make it. I'll survive, I'll get through. I'm strong enough. Same thing that Jonah said. But God's way for us is the pathway to truth, it's the pathway to life. And I, I don't know how to say it any better than Jonah just said it himself. Don't forfeit the mercy of God. Don't, inf- don't forfeit the grace of God, the pursuing love, the unending mercy, the long-suffering grace of God. Let's pray.